Hello, everyone, and welcome to Boston and Balling. I'm your host, Gabby Hurlbutt. Hope everyone's off to a great start to the week. It's Tuesday, so happy Tuesday. Um, baseball season is, uh, you know, nearing an end. We're getting into playoff baseball, so that's really exciting. Um, this season kind of flew by. I know for us Red Sox fans, it was not exactly the most enjoyable season um, to watch, but we're hoping for a bounce back year next year. So it's the fall's a great time, honestly, a great time of the year. I'm really excited to have a special guest with me on this episode. Excited to introduce him. He's kind of worked his way up the ranks, is now in the Red Sox system in, at Double um, A, Portland, um, Sea Dogs. Um, and Tyler Dearden, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. You know, I'm excited to uh, to chat it up. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, hopping on with me. It was uh, it's always nice to uh, talk to different people on here and kind of learn about different people's stories and everything like that. So it's definitely a lot of fun. For sure, I can imagine. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I hope you're uh, you know having a good day, and I'm excited to um, talk to you. I know you know I mentioned kind of briefly to you a little bit about my podcast, kind of some of the people that. I've had on here. Um, it's always a good time with these people, um, good guests and everything. Um, so yeah, I just kind of wanted to start off by just asking you a little bit about your baseball journey, kind of when you started playing and um, yeah, like how you really fell in love with the sport. Yeah, honestly, um, I probably started playing as long as I can imagine. Uh, my dad actually uh, coach college baseball at the College of New Jersey Division Three while I was growing up. So, you know, he would bring me to practices and, you know, I'd hang around, hang around those guys. And, you know, I think that's kind of where I fell in love with the game was just always being at the baseball field with my dad, watching him coach. And, you know, all the all his players were always super nice to me and let me, you know, hang out with them and hit the ball and stuff. So, I think for sure that 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 probably is where it all started. And then ever since it's kind of, you know, I fell in love then and, you know, I haven't looked back. That's awesome. Yeah, I feel like it was so it was just kind of engraved in you at a young age to like baseball because it was already in the family. Yeah, no. Yeah, for sure. My dad, big baseball guy. And, you know, I think a, a funny story I have is I he actually made me hit left handed on purpose, you know, and my mom really? will tell me, yeah, he never told me that. My mom ended up telling me that one, but I did pick up the bat right-handed and he switched my hands right away. <laughs> That's so funny, actually. Yeah. Yeah, because I feel like it's probably a good thing, ultimately, at the end of the day, because, um, you know, it's better to be able to be skilled, I feel like, in that way and be able to hit both which is super rare whether that you see with baseball players like and especially be like when lefties come up to bat it's just like it's a lot less common obviously so that's definitely interesting that he kind of engraved that in you yeah I know for sure and I think I talked to him about it now his mindset behind that was just you know you're gonna face more right-handed pitchers than left-handed pitchers and I mean that for sure is a thing looking at my numbers throughout my minor league career I've had way more bats against right-handed pitchers than left-handed pitchers so I'd say it worked out <laughs> really that's so funny yeah so he knew what he was doing uh, yeah he had an idea what he was doing <laughs> he just didn't let you let you know what he was doing and what no his no no but I, I thank him for that now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, no, really cool story. Obviously, you know, you've been 
in the Red Sox system. Um, so what is that like being in a system for a team that's obviously so successful, has a really good history and just knowing that you're a part of that organization? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, the Red Sox are one of the most storied franchises, you know, in baseball. Um, and, you know, ever since I've been drafted, you know, the Red Sox have taken care of me for and all, all their players. That's that's why they are, you know, that storied organization is they do things the right way from the top down. And I mean, everything is first class, the facilities, you know, the coaching staff all the way down, everyone in that system. So for me, it's it was, it's been a blessing, you know, to be put into that organization as a 19 year old kid out of high school. And, you know, I kind of put me in there and become a help me develop and, you know, almost in a way become a man. You know, I've kind of grown up. I felt like I've kind of grown up through through their system and, you know, matured on and off the field. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely obviously a change going from, you know, playing baseball growing up to being in the in a professional organization. I can imagine there was a bit of a transition period there. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, you go straight from high school. I actually was still in high school when the draft was going on, even after the draft, still had a, like a week of high school left. That's the, <laughs> the joy of being from New Jersey. You know, we, schools run late, but yeah, you know, going straight from high school and then going down into Fort Myers, you know, you're kind of, for the first time, you're kind of on your own, kind of get dropped off. And it's like, all right, you're on your own, you know, be at the field at 7 a.m. tomorrow. And you're just like, uh, okay. So, you know, <laughs> you learn, yeah, you learn quick, you know, how to, how to be, be on your own and do everything by yourself. But, you know, they do a great job of helping you with those things. And there's always someone there for you if, for whatever you need, honestly. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the schools running late thing because I'm from Connecticut and it was the yep. same. Yeah, like, the schools were always running late. So that was really annoying because I knew, you know, people from other places that got out of school so early and then there was me. So yeah, I definitely understand end, that. End of June, I'm still sitting in class. Yep. <laughs> yep. And I'm like, can I just start the summer now, please? <laughs> mm -hmm. So I definitely understand. Um, Who was your favorite team growing up? So it's probably going to be a controversial topic here, but I grew up a Yankees fan. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I mean, that's – I'm not I, – I kind of had a feeling you that, that you might say that because you're from New Jersey. Um, yeah. So a lot of New Jersey people are probably Yankees fans. So I'm not really surprised. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm from Connecticut. That's split between Boston and New York fans a lot. So yep. you either choose the right side which is the Boston side where you choose the wrong side, unfortunately for those people. But um, yeah, but yeah, though, that make that kind of makes sense. So that's probably interesting too, that you grew up a Yankees fan and now you're playing in the Red Sox organization. Yeah, it's definitely weird. You, you know, growing up, I'd go to always go to Yankee stadium and, you know, followed the Yankees for most of my childhood. Derek Jeter has kind of been my role model throughout, um, I mean, for him, for me, even still, it's like he's still one of the, the best to ever do it. So I, I'm still going to stick by him. But I won't say I'm still a Yankees fan. I won't say that, obviously, now being in the Red Sox organization. But, yeah, it's been weird going from growing up in Yankee, Yankee Stadium and then doing a pre-draft workout at Fenway. It was actually the first time I was there. And it's really cool. I've, I mean, Yankee Stadium, obviously, I 
big as one of the best stadiums, but being in Fenway, it just felt it felt different. It's definitely a historical place and a really cool, really cool stadium. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people enjoy playing at Fenway just because of all the history there, like you said, and just knowing all the players that have crossed through there. And Yankee Stadium is definitely cool, but I know a lot of Yankees fans who said that they – they prefer the old Yankee Stadium, and it's just not as – it just doesn't feel the same as Fenway does. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I would agree with that statement 100%. The new stadium, it's still – you know, it's still Yankee Stadium, but it, it just feels different and, you know, a lot more electronics going around and uh, a lot more expensive. <laughs> Food's a lot more ex- – everything's just more expensive. <laughs> but it's it's nice. <laughs> Yeah, no, that is. Yeah, I was going to ask you who some of your favorite players were that you looked up to, but you already kind of answered that question with the Derek Jeter thing, that he was kind of your role model um, growing up. Were there other players that you kind of followed a lot that you were like, I want to be this person? Yeah, I mean, obviously it was Jeter. You know, I played shortstop growing up. So obviously everyone, especially in New Jersey, is like everyone wants to be Derek Jeter. Yeah. Everyone wants to be the captain, you know, he's a good role model to, to follow. And I think other than that, I would say when Bryce Harper started coming up into the league, I guess I was a little older then, but I really enjoyed watching him and the way he played the game super hard. And, you know, obviously he's one of the most talented players out there, but he plays the game super hard. And that's that's something I take pride in as well. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I've I've really always liked watching Bryce Harper play because he just plays the game the right way. And you know there's certain players that you just look at them and you're like, yeah, this person plays the game the right way. I'd say Dustin Pedroia was another example of of somebody like that who a lot of people respected the way he played the game. And it was unfortunate the way his career ended. But he's definitely somebody who I know a lot of baseball fans really respected as a player just because – of, you know, his personality and his leadership and just just the way he approached the game. Yeah, no. Some and, guys were yeah, just like a, that. Right. And the, as a former Yankees fan, no, he was obviously, like, Yankees fans, he's one of those guys that you respect even though he's on a rival team for how yeah. for the way he plays the game. And, yeah, I was actually in Greenville last year when – was it 2021 20, when he was rehabbing, trying mm-hmm. to rehab and make it back? That was last year, right? Pedroia, was that nice? Um, that was two years ago, I think. Yeah, no, whatever it was. Yeah, he was. Actually, yeah. he actually was with us for a week, and you know, it was just awesome to you know see him face to face and in the clubhouse, and you know, get to pick his brain a little bit and just watch him play on the field. You know, yeah, that, that must have been thing. pretty cool to talk to somebody like that, who obviously, you know, one of the other things about him was spending his whole career with the Red Sox. And I feel like that's not as common now for players no. anymore. And so people really respect somebody like that who spent their entire career somewhere. So that right. that has to have been cool to hear his perspective on kind of working his way through the Red Sox system. Right. No, for sure. I Like you said, it's really not common anymore. You see guys, even – Pool holes, you know, I wish he, I, as a baseball fan, I wish he ended up staying in St. Louis the whole time. But, you yeah, know, I, I know. I, I mean, with the Dodgers. I love pool holes. Yeah, he's he's one of those players, too, that everybody's just going to miss. It's going to be weird without him. Obviously, him hitting 700 home runs was super cool. Good for him. Uh, that's but, that's an awesome yeah. accomplishment. But, yeah, I know. He's, he's one of those players that you'll always associate with St. Louis. Right. Yeah. Like when you yeah. think of the Cardinals, like especially for me, is like 
Melina, Wainwright, and him. And I, I don't know if you saw that video of them all walking off the field together. I did. That, that, was, that was cool. That was almost like those are guys I watched growing up, you know, with the Cardinals. Like those are guys I think of. So uh, that was a cool moment for sure. Yeah, I'm actually rooting for them to go all the way and win the World Series this year, specifically for those guys. Because I think it would just be really cool for them. It would be a really good icing on the cake if they won it all. Yeah. So since the Red Sox aren't in the playoffs this year, <laughs> that's kind of the team I'll be pulling for. Yeah, I, I don't blame you on that one. But, yeah, though that's super cool. And also another thing I know is, um, you know, a lot of times major league players do their rehabbing in double-A um, when, they, when they're coming back from injury. So are there any players, any Red Sox players, that even this past season were rehabbing in double-A that you kind of enjoyed talking to or got to talk to? Yeah, we had a, we had a couple this year. We had uh, – Ref Snyder was there. Kike was there. And Sale, Sale, yeah, Kike is a great dude. And Sale was there as well for a little bit. Um, yeah, Sale was actually the man. I I know a uh, a lot of stuff came out on uh, uh, Scherzer when he was rehabbing that he bought everyone, you know, headphones. And I think no one really knows, but Sale did the same for us, and you know, he took care of us well. He bought us everybody in the locker room headphones, and he uh, even bought a UFC fight the one night and had some food for us, you know, in the clubhouse after the game. So he's awesome, you know. I know guys learned a lot from him, and obviously we're thankful for everything he's done, everything he did for us at, during that time when he was there. You know, he fit right in as one of the guys. That's awesome. And, you know, these these guys, too, you know, they can relate to your situation. They've all been there. And they're right. at the level that, you know, they know that you guys all strive to be at. So they they probably, um, hopefully for the most part, I would imagine, are more than willing to kind of help out and offer advice when they can. No, for sure. I think Ref Snyder was one of the ones, you know, that guys could re relate to almost the most. You know, as he talked, he goes, you know, I feel like I've almost played for every minor league team in the country, you know. He's kind of been a journey. He's kind of been a journeyman, so you know I know he knows what we're going through, and you know it was good to connect with him and get his you know insight on on everything and how he goes about his business and you know how he's in the position that he is now today. Yeah, no, that's super cool. That's definitely really cool to to kind of see. Um, are there any like coaches that you had that you kind of um, credit a lot to in terms of getting you to where you are now? Yeah, I mean, I think throughout, I want to say my first year was Tom Kochman in the GCL. Um, like I said, being a young kid, you know, you're just kind of down there by yourself, didn't really know what to expect. And, you know, uh, he was kind of the perfect fit for me, kind of helped me, you know, make that transition right in. And then I'd even say Darren Fenster, he's now the uh, infield coordinator, but he was the outfield coordinator last year. And. He's helped me a lot defensively, also a Jersey guy. So, you know, we have a kind of a connection, but no, I can't, I can't thank him enough for, for helping me defensively and, and putting in the work with me and helping me become a better outfielder. Yeah. And obviously, you know, outfield is one of the toughest positions to play defensively. I feel like people really gain an appreciation for people who play those positions because it's definitely not easy, not an easy position. Um, At what point, throughout kind of your baseball journey did you really realize that you wanted to be an outfielder or that that was um really your position yeah no I you know I played 
shortstop growing up, obviously, until, like, high school. That was kind of where I played. And then I realized, you know, I was started hitting for more power, and it was like, okay, I'm probably going to end up being a corner guy here. So got a little bigger, put on some weight, and became a corner outfielder. And so for me, I would say that it was high school when I started playing there, and I felt like that that was a position for me. Yeah, no, that's that's super cool. Yeah. And then because outfield, I feel like it's just it's not everybody can play that position. I feel like it's just one of those positions that's that's pretty tough to play because catch, catching those fly balls is harder than it looks, I feel like. Oh, yeah, for sure. Especially the, the super high ones. Yeah, everyone thinks it's super easy until they get out there and, you know, there's top spin, there's side spin, the ball's going all different ways and, you know, the lighting. So it all plays a factor, but you get used to it. Yeah, being able to gauge exactly where the ball is hit and, and you know, especially in the sun. I mean, I've seen this happen in major league games, too, where they just right. don't see the baseball because of the sun. And then people are like, what is he doing? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, how could he drop that? But it's it's like, I mean, if he can't see it, he can't see it. <laughs> right. Yep. I've, I've been there. It's not a it's not a good feeling because, you know, you're the last line of defense out there. So. When you can't see it, you know there's no one behind you to get it. So you're just hoping, hoping for the best. Yeah, no, for sure. What What would you say are some of the biggest challenges that you face on a day-to-day basis, you know, doing what you do? Because obviously being a professional athlete is not easy. Um, so what would you say are kind of the biggest challenges day-to-day that you kind of see in your career? Yeah, I would say being disciplined. I think that's one a uh, big thing is, you know, being disciplined, obviously, at the field, taking care of, of what you have to do at the field, getting treatment, taking, taking care of your body, you know, because if body don't feel good, you're not going to perform. So that's obviously a huge thing. And being disciplined off the field, you know, at the end of the day, obviously, you want to have your fun here and there, but, you know, you got to be disciplined and make sure you recover the right way so you're ready to go and play play 140 games. And then I think maintaining relationships. I think that's one that's not really talked about a lot is, um, for me, is trying to maintain relationships throughout the season. Like, you know, you're playing 140 games and you're at the field for what X amount of hours every day. You know, you're it's hard to kind of stay in touch with, you know, people that you form relationships back home, whether it's family members, friends, girlfriends, whatever it is, it's, I think that's a big thing. And I think that goes along with like your mental health is like being able to separate your baseball and your, your off the field life and not let, you know, the baseball life take over and still, you know, have a kind of a 50, 50 split and still be able to maintain those relationships. Yeah. I feel like I agree with you. I feel like that's not talked about enough. I feel like people don't really always realize just how much, time you're actually committing to your sport and so it's tough for families you know it's tough for family members to be able to probably get as much time with you as they would want to um but it's definitely mentally probably challenging for players to be able to balance that personal life too and it's it's you know even more so than the rest of us just because you're on the road a lot during the season and it's just it's a long season and I feel like it can be tough to kind of balance everything and not make everything always about baseball, even though that can be really tough, especially during the season. Right. And I think that's where, you know, performance comes in, you know, you have a bad game, you strike out three times. You, you don't want to like, you don't want to make a call, you know, you, you don't want to make those calls. You're like, ah, I'll do it tomorrow. Like you just don't want to talk to anybody. So being able to separate, like I said, is 
I think that's a huge thing for me. And I've been lucky enough to kind of been playing on the East Coast uh, since I've been since I've been drafted, so especially this year in double A, you know, uh, my parents were only a few hours away from a lot of places, you know, Somerset was awesome, like 45 minutes away. So got to see a lot of family and friends there. And then even Hartford, only three hours. So Reading, only two That's hours. Right so me. yeah, mm-hmm. no, Dunkin' Donuts Park is awesome. That's one of my favorite stadiums for sure. Really? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it is awesome. Yeah, I uh, I went to quite a few yard goats games this past summer because it's just a great stadium. It is. It's I I think someone was saying you know if they had another level of seating it it would qualify as a big league stadium. Yeah. No, because I've I've kind of wondered that too because it's a pretty big place, you know. Yeah. So yeah, I feel like if they just added one more level up top, it probably could be. Yeah, that's what I heard. It's awesome. But yeah, I feel like that's nice for you being from Jersey and being drafted to the organization that you did, because it's not like you had to go, you've had to spend a lot of your career across the country or anything like that. So for the most part, it's probably relatively easy for you to be able to see your family. Do they, are they able to make it to games sometimes? Yeah. um, Yeah. Especially my dad ended up retiring last year. So he's been able to come a lot. My mom works in, works in a high school so you know the summer she's able to come she has the summers off so especially this year being with a lot of uh teams close to here it was I got to see them a lot and you know obviously for me that means a lot to me you know seeing familiar faces in the stands yeah because I feel like at games it's probably because there's always that huge crowd obviously and um, there's a lot of people there rooting for your team. But if you see people you know that are close to you and they're like, they're here to support me specifically, it probably yeah. fuels a different kind of energy. Like I need to have a good game for these people because these are the people close to me. Right. And even just kind of confidence boost, you know, even yeah. you know you're not feeling good at the play, you know, just knowing that these people are there and, you know, they believe in you. So when you, so if you have a bad game, for example, like you mentioned, you know, striking out three times or you make a couple really bad errors in the field. I mean, it happens. It's a long season. Like every player is going to have bad games. How hard is it to really bounce back the next game if you have just an exceptionally bad game? Is that difficult or do you just kind of go into the next day and say it's OK? It's a new it's a new day today. Right. Um, so if you asked me this question a few years ago in the beginning of my career, I'd give you a completely different answer. Um, for me, in the beginning of my career, you know, a bad game for me would would turn into a bad week and a bad, bad, bad two weeks, a bad month. I would really let those things, you know, pile up and, you know, I really let those things get to me. And, you know, ever I would say starting even last year in 2021, you know, I try and just really separate those things, separating every at bat, separating every pitch for me is knowing that, you know, being confident in the work you put in, you know, sometimes, you know, you're, you're going to get screwed by the umpire or the pitcher is going to make good pitches. Some, some things are out of your control. So just sticking, sticking to your plan at the plate and having confidence. And for me, I think a big thing that I started saying last year from pitch to pitch or at bat to bat is uh, I just tell myself before I got there is like, you're, you're one swing away, you know, whether I was 0 for 20 or, you know, 15 for my last 20, it's like you're, you're still only one swing away, you know. It's 
but you do start to feel after you know you're over 15 you start to feel like oh my god i'm never gonna get a hit again but it's like it gets to you but i think having that change of mindset for me has helped me to find more success just you know knowing that i'm i'm close and i you know it only takes one swing yeah that's that can definitely be tough because i mean i've seen players go into really bad slumps and you sit there and you're like, well, I don't want to see this person at the plate because it's probably going to be an out because they haven't been hitting well lately. Right. And you're just sitting there wondering when they're going to break out of that slump. And I've always just felt like a lot of that's mental. Uh, it 100% is. And it's it's hard. You know, it's, it's tough because it is your career. And, you know, you see the numbers start falling. You know what I mean? You're thinking, oh, no. Obviously, your your mind goes to the worst worst case scenario. You're thinking – Oh, I'm going to get released, all these things. But like I said, it's just being able to separate those things from at bat to at bat, you know, then you could turn a 0 for 3 day into a 1 for 4, you know, stuff like that. And being able to, I think another thing is to separate your defense from offense. And like I said earlier in my career, you know, if I make an error or, you know, then I would carry that into my next at bat. I'd probably strike out because I'm still thinking about the error or vice yeah. versa. I struck out, now I go out on the field and make an error. And those things just kind of – kind of go down and down. So being able to, to separate those things, like I said, is has been huge for me and my development and, and my success the past two years. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, it's definitely tough because like I said, you know, it's, it's, it's constantly, you know, having to prove yourself on a day-to-day basis because once it gets to that top level, I mean, there, you know, there's no patience there really. If you're not performing, they will release you or, you know, you'll get DFA, Mm -hmm. things like that. And it's, it's, you really have to perform. And I feel like at the younger levels, when you're um, working your way up to that, it's probably so important every day to be able to keep performing or else you're just not going to make it. You know, as right. as yeah. Say. yeah, and I, I think at the at the the uh, lower levels, you obviously have more leeway. You know, you're still developing. You're, you know, they're gonna let you play. And then I think kind of double A, especially this year, is like what I've noticed is like it's performance based. You know, you're right there. It's like all right, perform or, you know, you got to perform at this level. So it's obviously it puts a little more pressure on you, but at the same time, like for me, is like, you know, it kind of fuels me. You know, for competition. So. Yeah. And how do you kind of maintain, um, you know, everything during the off season? Like, how do you kind of keep yourself going during the off season when you're not practicing regularly with the team and you're not um, playing games regularly? Like, what does the off season kind of look like for you from a baseball standpoint? Right. Um, so actually, I, I'm fortunate enough, my agent actually owns a, a baseball facility um, over in Pennsylvania, not too far away. So oh, wow. being able, uh, yeah, I have a spot for me and a lot of other guys to train at. Uh, it's been awesome. So, you know, it's something I don't really have to worry about finding a spot to train. You, it's got everything you need, got cages, got a gym, got a turf field. So, you know, I go in there early in the mornings during the week with a bunch of other pro guys and, you know, kind of get our work done. And then for me in the afternoons, uh, a couple of days a week, I'll stay after and work with uh, some of the high school and, and younger guys that come in in the afternoon, you know, to keep myself busy and, you know, make, make some extra money in the afternoons. That's kind of that's kind of my off season right there. <laughs> hey, extra money is never a bad thing. <laughs> no, it can't hurt. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's good, though, because I was going to ask if it's 
you know, if you mainly have to do this all on your own or if you do work out with other people during the off season, because I feel like having other people to work out with definitely probably helps to kind of maintain that discipline of being able to focus during the off season so that you go into the next season and you're not completely rusty. Right. Obviously it's a long off season and you know, it's good to have all those other guys there to keep you accountable because it's easy to say, you know, it's just one day and you know, I'm going to skip today, you know, but we have a good group of guys over there that, that hold each other accountable and we'll get on you if you, if you start skipping days. So. Yeah. If you get into that habit, it's hard to get to, uh, you know, get back into it. That's, that's just even like me with going to the gym. Sometimes I'll be like, Oh, I just don't have to go today. It's fine. Like I can just go tomorrow instead. But then the more you do that, the more you just don't feel like going anymore. So I feel like it's really important to be able to have that self-motivation and self-discipline because during the season, you obviously everything's, you know, you have organized practices and everything. Right, for sure. Yeah, and that's why I said I'm fortunate enough to have that, be surrounded with a good group of guys. And obviously having my agent at the facility, you know, he's he's always on me, so I can't I can't see him can't let him see me skipping days. Yeah. (laughs) That's funny. Um and spring training, what does that actually look like? Because I know everybody you know is in the same place for spring training. How much work do you really get during spring training with people who are at the other levels? Um, within the Red Sox organization. Right. Obviously, uh, I mean, obviously the big league camp guys and the minor league camp guys are kind of separated, you know, they're on different time schedules. But um, with the, the rest, of the, all the guys in minor league camp, you know, you, you'll, you'll get a good chance to kind of be around everybody for the first couple of weeks until they start dividing you into kind of teams towards the end. So, but for the first couple of weeks, you know, everyone's kind of just down there getting ready and you get to, see a lot of a lot of guys a lot of new guys a lot of guys coming over from the dr younger guys guys that just got signed so you know you're seeing you're all you're kind of seeing everybody and then once spring training the games start we start playing games against other teams and they start forming into teams then you're kind of only around those guys but you'll you'll see other guys around so it's yeah it's, it's a lot going on kind of how that works yeah, it's a lot going on. There's a there's a lot of moving parts, so just got to keep up with the schedule <laughs> and try and be in the right place at the right times. <laughs> know where you're supposed to be when. Yeah, there's because there's so many guys down there, all different. There's six different fields, so just like I said, staying disciplined and making sure you're 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 on top of your stuff. That's funny. Yeah, because that that can be confusing and overwhelming. I feel like, especially for somebody when it's their first time doing it and it's like um like you right after you got drafted and it's like it's probably an experience trying to navigate all of that right yeah my first spring training you know it's kind of a wake-up call and now you know you see all the older guys and now now I feel like I'm one of the older guys coming coming back into spring training now I've been around for a little while so you figured out how it works but yeah I got I got it figured out now is it yeah but that's interesting though because it's probably nice to get that time at the beginning to be able to interact with other people that, you know, you probably wouldn't usually get to interact with like people at the triple a AAA level, for example, you probably get to see them a lot um, earlier on in spring training, but then when people start to break off and stuff, you might not see as many of those people anymore. Right. And obviously you have relationships with, with guys from other, that are in different levels now. So, it's always good to catch up with them. And then obviously during the season, like I, 
I just played uh, golf with uh, Nick Decker the other day, another Jersey oh, guy yeah. I grew up with. Yeah. Um, uh, so like I haven't seen him in the, almost like five months of the season. So it's crazy. Like you see it, you see him in spring training and then all of a sudden at a different level, you don't see him for five months. So it's, it's crazy. It's crazy to think about that. Yeah. Cause everybody's doing different things right during the season. That's awesome that you were able to catch up though and, and play some golf. Yeah, no, it was a good time. It was a good time. I didn't play very well, but that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It happens to everybody. Yeah, um, I haven't played golf in a long time. I used to play a lot with my dad when I was younger. He would take me out and I'd play, but I have not played in a while. So if I did play now, I definitely would be really rusty. <laughs> uh, it can't be worse than a lot of people that are out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, um, I, yeah, I mean, every once in a while, I'll go to the driving range, but... I right. have not actually legitimately played in a while, but it's fun. It's a good time. It's a good way to socialize and catch up with people. It's perfect. Yeah, it's perfect. Cause I'm not the best golfer, but you know, I enjoy going out there and hanging out with some of my buddies. Yeah, no, that's really good. That's fun. Um, yeah. And that's, that's super cool. I mean, the spring training thing and, and just being able to mesh with people and interact with a lot of different people when, and during spring training, when you're not playing games and you have downtime, like what do people usually do during that time? So for me, it's I'm sleeping. That that's just me. And I, there's a lot of guys like that that are with me. You know, spring training is you're up at six a.m. out in the heat until you know you're practicing in the mornings. And then you're playing games at twelve. So by the time you get home, it's already four, and guys are guys are tired. I know some of the pitchers will play golf. You know, especially they're not throwing that day. They'll be out of there earlier. But I speak for a lot of the position players. And what I say is we just want to lay down and sleep after after a long day of spring training. You're like, I just want to go to bed and knock it off. <laughs> yeah, just throw That's on funny. TV and just relax in the in the AC. Yeah, right? Yeah, because <laughs> it's, it's super hot down there, too. So it's probably like – it's probably refreshing when you get an AC. Yeah, that's all you're looking for. That was actually one of the really nice things about Portland this year was the weather. Obviously, it was super cold in the beginning, but, you know, the summers were awesome. You know, it's like 65, 70 every night, no humidity. That was that was ideal. Yeah, no, that's so nice. That's really nice. Um, And so when, when you get called up, you know, to the next level – how do they usually notify you of that? Like, how do you find that out? Because I know people, it can be like, it can be kind of sudden, like in the middle of the season type thing, somebody gets called up or I've even seen things like, oh yeah, we need this person to come for this one series to play up um, and the majors and they'll go back down to triple A. And it's, that can be a lot to, you know, ship people back and forth like that. So if you do get called up, like how do you get notified about that in order to be able to prepare yourself for that? Yeah. So usually it's right after, right after a game, you know, if you're going up is the, the manager will call you into his office and let you know, and you don't really know how long you, you know, they don't really tell you how long you're going to be there for if it's permanent, if it's not. So, you know, you're kind of just kind of just going with the flow. That's kind of scary. Yeah, because so it's like yeah. when you when you got called up to Portland, they just said you're going up to double A, but you don't know how long you're going to be there for. Right. So for me, it was it was in spring training. So, you know, I, you know, I made it like you make the team out of camp and you're going to double it like you're going to Portland. So mostly, you know, you're 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 going to be there for a decent amount of time, obviously, unless you 
you kind of don't do very well, then obviously that could factor in. Or if you do extremely well, then you can move up. So, you know, kind of, you kind of never know. You're trying to just, like I said, play for, play for yourself and, you know, whatever happens, happens. Those things are, are out of your control. And those, those are things that can, can get in your head when you start thinking about them is why am I, why am I not going here? Why am I not going here? Is those things are out of your control and those things I've seen get to guys heads and, you know, uh, like I said, mentally, it kind of, it kind of, kind of will mess with you. So. Yeah. Cause I feel like it's, you know, if you're thinking about that in the back of your head, like you, for example, if you're like, Oh, when am I going to get called up to Worcester? Then it's like, there's distractions there. I feel like for you, cause mentally you're like, Oh, I have to play really well because the right. better I play now, like the sooner I'll get called up to triple a, but you kind of can't think about it like that. You just have to kind of play your game and then that'll just, naturally happen if you continue to perform i feel like correct yeah and that's uh, that's big thing for me is just to control the controllables and those things you know i don't i don't make those decisions so those those things are out of my control all i can do is you know show up to the field and and perform every day and those things will take care of themselves yeah no that's that's definitely can be nerve-wracking i feel like for some people though and i feel like that's why you know, um, sometimes people just don't make it because baseball has one of the most, you know, grueling systems, I feel like to go through before you really make it to that level, like, you don't get your shot really right away, like you do with some other sports, like football, you just get drafted, and you can just play, you know, I mean, obviously, basketball, it's they have a little bit like they have, um, you know, the G League and everything, but it's still that process with baseball to really make it there is, is tough you know, and, and really get to the level you want to be at. And it takes all those steps. And I feel like not everybody realizes how much players actually go through before they make it to the major league level. No, for sure. And, you know, you always have your, your friends and family asking you, like, what's going on? You know, a lot of people don't understand how the, the minor league system works and that there's there's a five or six levels. You know, it's not it's not like other sports. Obviously, they see – see the other sports and they think that you're just going to go straight to the, to the MLB. So it's, it's a grind. I know people talk about it as a grind and I'd be as going through it right now. It's, it's definitely a grind, but I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't trade it for anything. You know, it's, it's fun and it's what I want to do, but it's definitely a grind and you gotta, you gotta just work through it every day. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's just how it is. If that's what you love to do and that's kind of what you strive for, it, it'll all hopefully be worth it if you do get to that level you want to be at. Like if you're making your debut in a Red Sox uniform at Fenway, then you'll know that that's all worth it, you know? Right. No, for um, sure. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, I know with the Red Sox, obviously you talked a lot about their system being really good and the players that they bring into the system and just treating everybody really well that does come into their system. And um, as you see people, you know, be called up and, maybe people get traded into the organization, um, you know, mid season. Cause I know that that has happened too. There's been people that, cause you know, midway through the season before the trade deadline, when the Red Sox are making trades and people are coming into the system partway through, um, you know, what is that like for those people to come into the team? Cause you've probably seen this, especially at the double a level, even this year, I think we ended up trading for a couple um, people that, that were in the uh, minor league system and were playing in Portland. Um, is, is that 
a hard transition period for them if they at that level have to go from playing somewhere else to then transitioning when the season's already going on to the Red Sox system based on what you've seen and, and players that have, that you've played with that that have, has happened to. Right. Uh, yeah, we had a couple guys this year. Uh, Taylor Broadway came over and uh, William Abreu. And, I mean, I'm sure it's harder than they, they made it look, but for me it – I feel like they made a, a seamless transition. And I think that goes to to credit our the team we had in Portland. You know, we had a really good group of guys that were that were close together and you know, we we were like we were kinda like we ended up bonding in that second half and when we made that playoff run and I think those guys that came in, I think they fell into kind of fell into that bond and you know, it made that transition a lot easier for them. Yeah, no, that's really good. And I feel like having that team chemistry is so important. I feel like you see that at all levels, and that's really important at all levels. But being able to adapt to those types of changes, knowing that that could happen to anybody at any time, because at the end of the day, you know, there's the people up top that do the business work for the sport. And so, you know, people could be moved around really whenever. Is 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 that something that you just try not to think about if you're, if like, you know, during the season when you're like, oh, like, what if I'm part of a trade package, like eventually, and I get moved? Like, is that something that people think about? Or do you just not worry about it? And then whatever happens, happens? Right? Yeah, for me, like, I, like I said before, with even the roster moves is, you know, those those things are out of your control. But I, I think a, a cool thing that kind of people will say is, you know, when you're in the minor leagues, you're not just playing for the Red Sox, you know, you're playing for all all teams out there, you know, you never know where you could end up. So obviously, you know, the org you're in, you want to you wanna play for them and make your debut with them. But at the end of the day, you know, the goal is to to play in the major leagues, no matter what team that is for. And obviously you have all, all the other teams that are watching watching as well and looking to build, build their roster. So, Yeah, that's such a good point, too, because you never know where you could end up because, you know, you could end up in a different organization because – in terms of a trade standpoint, you could fill the needs that another team's minor league system might need at that time. And you could end up getting your opportunity even quicker when you do get there for that team. So yeah, that's definitely a good way of looking at it that it's like, yeah, you never know where you could end up. So you just have to put your best product out there, obviously for your team. But if you're standing out to other teams and you know, you get moved, then that could be your, your shot really. For sure. Right. And that's why this is just knowing that you never know. I think that's a big thing in minor league baseball is you really never know. And it's just being able to stay present and just being ready for whatever's thrown at you. Yeah. And I mean, obviously hitting a baseball is really, really challenging because I mean, it's, it really, it's not a lot of time to decide if you should swing at a pitch or not. So I'm always watching, you know, how fast, these pitchers are throwing and I'm like, how are they able to know that quickly if they should swing at that pitch or not? Um, you know, I'm like somebody, if somebody's throwing like in the majors, even if somebody's throwing a baseball, that's like 95 miles an hour. It's like, that gives you like no time to decide if you want to swing at the pitch. And so I feel like people will sometimes kind of, you know, give players crap for, for like being like, why would he swing at that? Like that was way outside. Like, because it's hard to know what's, what's going to be coming and what, pitch they're going to throw um so when you're at the plate like how do you kind of focus strictly on that and block out the distractions that are around you in the middle of a game 
Right. Obviously, there's so many distractions going on, like externally and internally. Yeah. I kind of talked about before, but, you know, just trying to slow the game down and trying to just breathe, you know, obviously you come up in some big situations, stuff like that. And it's just trusting, trusting the, the practice that you put in and trusting, trusting the scouting report. I think that's a big thing that people don't see is, you know, we have scouting reports on, on all the pitchers. So like, you know, we know how hard they throw on, they're knowing what they're like to do and how, how, how they're probably going to pitch us. So Knowing their velos, knowing the percentages of what they throw, makes it a little bit easier. So you have some idea, not going in there blind. But obviously, today's pitchers are they're still evolving. I mean, guys are throwing. Uh, I would say ninety-five is the new ninety. You know, everyone seems to be throwing ninety-five now. And before it was like, oh, he's throwing ninety. That was a big deal. Now it's like ninety-five. You got guys throwing one hundred two. It's like wow. So it's obviously, so those scouting those scouting reports help to an extent but you still got you're in the box you know it's still on you to to make those decisions and like you said they're split second decision so yeah so when you have a pitcher you know you know generally kind of you know what their best pitch is what they like to throw when like if they're facing a right-handed hitter or a left-handed hitter like what they're more inclined to throw those are all generally because you kind of you kind of study those pitchers ahead of time right and that's where it's almost it's almost like a, a chess match. It's, it's kind of a weird way to describe it, but, you know, they have their game plan for you, what the scouting report says to throw to you, and then obviously you have a game plan off of them of how you're going to attack them. And obviously, you know, hitting's hard, I think. You know, I think MLB average is down to, like, 240. So, you know, yeah. you're getting a hit 24% of the time. You know, it's the pitchers are going to win so most of the time, but it's just, you know – like playing that just matches like you just gotta make your you gotta trust what you're doing and and obviously you know if you if you win 30 percent of the time of the time you, you'll be in the hall of fame so yeah it's crazy it's like you look at hitters now it's almost like if they're hitting over 300 it's just seen as this just unbelievable thing now because it's it's just so right. it just seems like it's harder now to really um be successful at the plate and i feel like if you look at some of the best hitters in major league baseball they even still, if you really think about it, are, you know, succeeding about 30% of the time that they're at the plate, which overall is really not that much of the time considering. So people, I feel like fans expect these players to get a hit every time. Right. Some of the best hitters in, in baseball, but that's just not how it's going to happen. Right. No, it's a, that's what they call baseball is a game of failure. So I think that's the biggest thing is how you can handle it and, and, how you can make those adjustments. Do you feel like hitting or fielding is harder? Hitting for sure. Uh, <laughs> no question. It's got to be hitting. And that's why I think Aaron Judge is the season that he's having right now is unbelievable. It's honestly one of the best statistical seasons. If you look at it, you know, he's hitting Great. 315 in today's today's era of what we talked about. It's like major league average is 240. He's hitting, he's hitting over 300 with, you know, 61 homers and 130 RBIs. So it's it's crazy to see that because obviously now you either have the guys that hit for average or the guys that hit for power and and or will hit 220 for you. So to see Aaron Judge doing what he's doing right now is is unbelievable. Yeah, because you see a lot of players in baseball now who will hit a lot of home runs because they have a really powerful bat, but they, you know, they can't really hit singles and doubles or, um, you know, make things happen on the field for you as much. But then you have 
you know, the players like Xander Bogarts, for example, who has a really, really good batting average and is, um, you know, giving Judge a run for his money in batting average. But he doesn't hit a ton of home runs. I mean, he'll hit right. home runs, but like he's more of a contact hitter, you know, and, and will just, he can, he's capable of putting the ball in play and being productive at the plate more. So I feel like there's just vastly different hitters now in terms of how people approach their at-bats at the plate. Yeah, for sure. And that's why I think it's so impressive for what, what Judge is doing because he's doing all of it. And <laughs> that, that's why he's doing it. He's, there's not one thing that he's not doing at the plate. So obviously it's Yeah, that's why his season, season for is him. just – we're not going to see that again probably just because he, he's really doing everything – and the whole triple crown thing is just crazy because we rarely ever see that. So, you rare, rare, um, that, especially that's what you're saying is no one really hits for average end power anymore. So the fact that he's yeah, yeah. in the the triple crown running right now is is unbelievable. Which which of those two categories would you put yourself in more? So for me, I like I like to try and be a an all around hitter. I try and you know obviously power is part of my game, but for me, I think. I take pride in on-base percentage, which is like a, a weird stat that not a lot of people will look at. Obviously, it's factored into OPS, so that will obviously have it. So some people will will look at it. But, you know, for me, on-base percentage is, is big for me because obviously hitting is so hard. So obviously, there's going to be times where you do everything right and you get out. But on-base percentage for me is obviously it takes into account walks for me and, you know, having good at-bats. And I think that those things translate into the power and, and the averages. So for me, I'm chasing on base percentage just because I know how hard hitting is. And, you know, you're not going to get a hit every time. But, you know, I've, I think there's value in being on base and being being able to put your your team in a position to score a run and yourself, yourself in a position to score a run obviously has value. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because even if you draw a walk – you know, that's that's you're you're getting on base and that's putting your team in position to help drive you in as that run, you know. So I feel like that's still productive, even though it's not getting a hit, you're still right. getting yourself on base and finding a way to get on base. And that's I feel like what makes really good hitters too is you're not necessarily thinking you have to get a hit every time. If you can find a way to get on base more often than not then that's going to be, that's going to make you a successful player. I feel like, cause then it, you can, you know, you can, you're already on base, you can steal bases, you can, um, you know, be athletic and find a way to, to get yourself home also. And then that's, it's kind of on right. everybody else in the lineup after you to, to try to put together some productive at bats to drive you in. But yeah, that's definitely a good mentality because, you know, you have to get on base. <laughs> right yeah. and obviously obviously you want to get a hit like you want to hit home runs you want to drive guys in and obviously yeah. there there's time and place for that but you know when you're there's not always a guy on second third with with less than two outs you know yeah. and there's always sometimes you're leading off and you got to find a way to get on base so that's kind of for me is you know if I'm swinging at good pitches and you know taking the bad pitches is then I know my own base percentage will, will be in a good spot and the, re the yeah. rest of those things will take care of themselves yeah, that definitely makes sense. Would you say leading off is the hardest spot in the lineup to be in? Uh, so for me, I haven't led off much, but I would I, – I don't know, honestly. For me, I'm not really sure. I haven't had much experience in that spot. So 
Yeah. Not, not exactly sure. I'm curious because I feel like people who lead off, like I don't, I don't know if that would be harder for them than everybody else because they're kind of setting the tone um, right. for everybody or not, or if the expectation from the leadoff hitter <laughs> is to get on base. Um, more right. often than not, and and that's why they hit there. I, I've never been sure because obviously when I watch Red Sox games, you know the lineup is generally the same in terms of who's hitting where. Um, yep. They don't really deviate the leadoff spot that much. Granted, they had a lot of injuries this season, so things would change. But I've always wondered mm-hmm. if there was that expectation always for that person to try to get on base because, and that's why they're hitting in that spot. Yeah, no, definitely. Obviously, the leadoff guy, you want to get on base. And I guess for uh, – I would say it is harder. So so I, why I say that is because we're the first batter of the game. Obviously, you see the scouting report. You're watching film. <coughs> Excuse me, but you don't know how he's going to attack you that day. So uh, that's why, like, being down in the – like, obviously, after leadoff is you're able to see how what the pitcher's throwing that day, and you kind of can get some intel from that. So kind of being the leadoff guy, you're kind of – going up there blind, but you're not blind. You have a scouting report, but, you know, it's it's nice to be able to watch from the dugout and see how they're kind of attacking the leadoff guy. Yeah, exactly, because <clears throat> you don't know if they're going to have their best stuff that day right. or not either. If you're the leadoff hitter, you have no idea what they're going to come at you with, whereas I feel like the more hitters that they go through, you know, the more you can kind of see, like, okay, he doesn't really have his fastball right now or, right. you know, like – his curveball's a little off. Like you can, you don't know that when you're hitting leadoff, but you can see that if you're hitting in another spot and you're like, okay, like this, he doesn't seem to have that pitch today. Right. Yeah. And that's a big thing is obviously is being able to eliminate pitches. Obviously in the, in the pregame meeting, you can't really eliminate anything. Yeah. You know, he throws four or five pitches, whatever, but kind of watching the game, watching the guys in front of you, see how, He's like, oh, he's throwing. He's not throwing that first strike today. So I'm gonna play my odds and you know eliminate that pitch because you can't you can't hit everything. You know you you got to go up there with a plan. Yep. No, it's true. It's definitely true. Yeah, and I feel like hitters have certain pitches that they can hit better too. You know, so it's it's definitely you're not going to be able to hit every pitch that a pitcher is throwing. Right. Yeah, and that's where you know the game plan comes in is obviously playing to your strengths. And then obviously there's times where, you know, the pitcher, it's not a great matchup for you. So you're just going to have to kind of grind in there and, you know, try and take your single or try and take a walk. And that's where those on base, you know, that, that stuff comes in. Cause you're not, it's not always a friendly matchup for you at the plate. You know, everyone has their strengths and weaknesses and sometimes, you know, the pitcher has the advantage. So, but being able to, you know, just not give in and, you know, just throw away in a bat as some people will say. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, um, no, this was this was great. I really appreciate you being on the show with me. This was this was a lot of fun. Great conversation. It was actually a really fast hour. Um, yeah, but yeah. Wow. No, this was this was awesome. No, thank you for having me. I I enjoyed talking. It's been it's been fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, obviously, I wish you the best of luck. Everybody else listening definitely wishes you the best of luck too. Um, love the Red Sox. So I'll definitely be rooting for you and kind of your path as you navigate through this whole thing. And hopefully we see you uh, making your Fenway debut soon. Thank you. I, I really appreciate it. And thanks again for having me on. Yeah, no problem. Everyone, as always, 
appreciate you tuning into the show. Um, definitely, you know, follow Tyler and his his journey through the Red Sox organization. Um, definitely wish him the best of luck. Um, hope everyone has a great rest of your week. I'll catch you all next time on the show. And thanks again for tuning in. Take care, everyone.